being in person, you get to like see like all the mannerisms, you know, you get to hear the the audio quality live. And, you, you know, that's where you either gain a huge respect for the artist that you like, or you start to say, or you say like, oh, well, that sounds a lot different from the album. Why does it sound different? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's because that motherfucker uses auto-tune like crazy. <laughs> What's up, everyone? I'm Zach, and welcome to the Augzoro Podcast, which is inspired by, but not limited to, the curiosity of myself. Whether I speak with doctors, designers, athletes, or music artists, the goal is to improve my own way of thinking and hopefully help others think better themselves. Thank you for joining me on this journey. If you'd like to keep up with all things Augzoro, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and subscribe to our twice-monthly newsletter. In this action-packed email, we send you the latest Augzoro content, as well as articles, podcasts, books, shows, and other content we find exciting and useful. Go to Augzoro.com or visit the link in the podcast description to join over a thousand others who get the newsletter. Also, you can now support Augzoro on Patreon for two, five, or $10 per month. On Patreon, you get early access to all podcast episodes, discounts on merch, and one Patreon-exclusive episode each month. We're an independent platform with no outside investors, and we rely on listeners like you to keep the conversation going. Go to patreon.com forward slash Augzoro to become a patron, and thank you for your support. This time, I sit down with Jonas, an independent hip-hop artist who has toured all over the world, most recently in Europe. I've been a fan of Jonas for a long time, ever since I first heard his Pumped Up Kicks remix back in my high school days. In this conversation, Jonas discusses how the current quarantine has affected his creative process and the artist community as a whole, finding his voice in the studio, regaining lost focus, the uniting power of hip-hop music, and more. Without further ado, please enjoy this deep dive with Jonas. Thank you for taking the the time to stop by and, and we are recording this remotely during quarantine, so I'm yeah, glad we man. figured out the uh, <laughs> the technical difficulties and making the most of the the social distance situation. Yes, yes, man, that's what it's all about, you know. Um, I feel like people that find a way to navigate during these times and still are able to do the things that you know they're they're passionate about, you know, that's going to separate. That's going to separate people, you know, people that are hungry and versus you know people who just are willing to accept the circumstances that are given to them. That's a good place to start. I, I was thinking, because podcasting, there's a huge demand for podcasts during this time. We were talking a little bit before how downloads have shot up, and I'm sure that there's a similar effect in music with more people spending time at home, but the whole live music and touring aspect is just completely taken away. So for you, as a, as a recording artist, how has the current pandemic situation been affecting you? Like you said, on the streaming side, I think uh, people are home. So, you know, you would hope that um, the stream numbers go up. I mean, it's still too early to to be able to get that information, 
you know, still from the, you know, on the data, you know, I think also the the messed up part about streaming, I was just talking to my manager, Sam, about this, um, is that a lot of people uh, stream music on their way to work, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like on their way to work. And then, um, you know, when they're working out at mm-hmm. the gym. Yeah. And just doing things out and about, you know what I'm saying? Playing music, poolside, you know, if it's like spring, summer. And so, you know, if you're limiting people to their homes and, you know, not only that, but, you know, you're not allowing them to kind of get together with friends and, and family and stuff, you know, it kind of limits some of those places where music exists. You know what I'm saying? And so you would think the streaming numbers go up, but I think everybody's on the couch watching Netflix and Hulu and all that shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that, That's true. It, it- it might uh it, it might balance out the the time that people are spending walking to work or being around outside yeah. their homes listening to music may and now that that's taken away it may be canceled out by the extra time they're listening to music in their apartments and stuff like that and, and I'm the same way I listen to music and podcasts my walk to work every morning is about yeah. 25 30 minutes and so I'm just jamming the entire time and it, it makes it makes it makes everything fly by like like your walk has yeah, a has yeah. a soundtrack to it. So that's that's, that's my that's the time that I take for myself in the morning. Yeah, man. No, it's just real, dude. And and so I think there's not one a person in one there's not one like industry that isn't affected, you know what I mean, in some sort of way. Um and so it's just a matter of trying to figure out, all right, you know, what am I gonna do to kind of rise above the occasion? And to, you know, to make sure that I'm in a good, good enough place where, you know, I can, you know, pay my rent, <laughs> pay my mortgage, pay the mm-hmm. bills and stuff like that, you know. And I think, you know, that's a hustler's challenge, you know what I mean? And um, that's something I pride myself on is, is you know, having that mentality where, you know, it's been a struggle from day one for me, you know what I'm saying? And there was, you know, there's no major label. There's no team of 20, you know, 40 mm-hmm. people that, you know, are going to you know, getting things done for me. There was never that, you know what I'm saying? A lot of the stuff that I did, I had to do on my own. So just having that as a background for moments like this, I'm just like, all right, bring it on, man. This is like, I'm going to figure out another way to flip it. Yeah. <laughs> Survival of the fittest. Yeah, man. Absolutely. hundred percent. Has there been anything that you've been able to do to offset the cost of not being able to tour and perform and anything that you've been able to to push into overdrive that you can do at home or, or maybe make up some of the financial losses that you're seeing on the touring end? Honestly, like lucky for me, touring wasn't the major source of revenue um, anyway. You know what I mean? Um, I invested a lot of time in building my presence in the digital space, you know, streaming and, and uh, music videos on YouTube and stuff like that. So that stuff, we look, we're doing it right here. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's stuff we can continue doing. Yeah, exactly. The digital space is, you know, unless something catastrophic happened to the internet where the internet just went away, it's something that, you know, it, it allows us to con- continue working and um, to kind of be above life in a sense. You know what I'm saying? Like when shit happens in life where you can't go outside, like now, uh, we're able to continue to exist. So lucky for me, that's the main source of revenue is streaming. So anybody watching this right now, go stream the music because that definitely helps out. Yes, sir. But uh, but yeah, so lucky for me, touring hasn't, you know, and I also got my tour in um, in Europe in in January. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I was watching the recap Before. videos. That looked Appreciate dope it, man. Yeah. on your IG story. Yeah, yeah it was. It was or IGTV. Yeah, man, it was epic. You know, to see people that uh, English is not even, it's not their first language but they're still, you know, singing the words back 
It was awesome. But um, but yeah, luckily I was able to get that in before all this stuff happened. So I kind of had my big tour um, already this year. Um, you know, so I, I lucked out a little bit. Yeah. And you mentioned the the internet crashing. That's, that's a real concern because you see companies like Amazon and Netflix putting a cap on the, the streaming quality just so everyone's yeah. not crashing yeah. the internet. Because we're kind of running two experiments side by side in society right now, which is remote working. What, what are people going to do remote working? Is it more productive? Is it less productive? How can people adapt? So we're going to have all this data. Yeah. After the fact, I think when we start to get out the other side of this, okay, let's look at how we actually performed at home. Like, should we allow employees to work at home more? And then also the internet, how, how can our internet handle basically everyone Everybody. on it at the same time? <laughs> that has to like, like, is there, what is the limit to our internet? Can the, can the whole basically network that holds together our entire world crash or will it hold up in times like this? So it's like interesting to see how it's going to pan out. Yeah, no, that's true, man. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. I mean, we'll see, you know, they're, they're definitely collecting the data though. <laughs> I know that much. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to embarrass you a little bit. Let's go. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. I'm going to ask you to, to jump into the perspective of what it's like to be a, a fan of Jonas for a sec. If you were to jump into the mind of your own, of your own fans, but I'm going to preface it with a quote. Oh shit. And this is from the project Harlem World by Mace. Cause I, I heard you talking about how, you, how that's your yeah, favorite yeah. product. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a song called What You Want. And one of the lines is girl in my eyes, you're the baddest. The reason why I love you, you don't like you me because like my, my status. Yeah. <laughs> so knowing that Jonas fans are, are ride or die and you've been independent for so long and people absolutely love you and love your music in your eyes, why do fans love Jonas? What is, what is the reason that they, they love you? Because it's... Cause it's uh, I mean, honestly, that's easy for me. Just because it, I, I feel like it's because I'm just authentic. You know, I just, I am who I am. And I'm not afraid to talk about the things that I struggle with. You know, I'm, I'm not afraid to poke fun at myself at the same time. And, and I have a sense of humor where I feel like, you know, uh, you know, without naming names, but I feel like there's certain artists that, you know, don't have that sense of humor. They take things a little too seriously. I mean, there's no fun in that. You know what I'm saying? Like oh, just yeah. in, in life, there's no fun in that. Like imagine you, you know, you're hanging out with somebody that just takes everything way too seriously. You're going to be like, oh, that motherfucker is lame. <laughs> There's a quote that goes something like, take what you do seriously, but don't take yourself seriously. Right, right. hundred percent. I agree with that. Um, at least not all the time, right? There's mom- there's yeah. times for uh, for you to, you know, for obviously for you to be dead serious, but there's also, you know, for the most part, life is, you know, supposed to be enjoyable and, and you're supposed to make the, the best things. And so anyway, so I think it's just that, you know what I'm saying? It's like the, the authenticity, just me being me. Um, and then, you know, that's from a life perspective. And I've always made myself accessible in like moments like this where I'm just, you know, streaming and talking just like you and I are just chatting. I've done that in the past where I went on, you know, before people were doing live streams, I found a way to get on YouTube and live stream on YouTube. And so I used to get on there and just hang out with people. I called it hang out with Jonas. And so I would just sit in my, sit in my living room, right? Or wherever I was at and just turn on the computer and just live stream. And then people would ask me questions from all over the world. And I would, you know, talk to them, you know, we would get trolls in the chat room and I would go back and forth with the trolls, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's just fun, you know, engaging with people 
And, you know, and people remember that, you know what I'm saying? Like they, just like they remember their good times with their friends. You know, I, I don't want there to be too much of a difference between me and somebody you would hang out with in the, in, in the real world. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, you know, because at the end of the day, we're all on this journey together, you know, and if I can help somebody in life just by being me and they feel like they could connect with somebody, then I feel like I've done my job. So. Hey guys, I wanted to interrupt this episode real quick to let you know that Auxoro also produces a short form podcast called The Ox. The Ox brings you a daily dose of uncensored wisdom to jumpstart your life. 10 minutes or less, no bullshit, no topic off limits. You can subscribe to the show by searching The Aux, A-U-X, wherever you listen to podcasts. For all the latest Auxoro content, you can follow us on Instagram at at Auxoro, Twitter at at Mag, and hit us up for our twice monthly newsletter with the link in the podcast description. Now back to the episode. And it's hard for people to get under your skin if you know how to make fun of yourself. 100%. (laughs) If you know the things that people are going to come at you with and you just feed into it and even take it a step further and, and are willing to join in that joke and make fun of yourself, it kind of disarms the people that don't like you. And then the people that do like you, it makes them like you even more. That's real life judo, man. Just take yeah. take that momentum and flip it. <laughs> you, you should you should be the first rapper to ever write a diss track about themselves and then respond to that Ooh. diss track. Oh, I like that. Hey, <laughs> Just I'm not get mad into at that. like the enemy mindset of Jonas and then create an alter ego and then come back Dude, at yourself. I'm, hey, don't be surprised in, in 30 days. You might hear that coming out of, of my quarantine. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's the thing about quarantine. Like, there's some hours that come back into your day and I know that you're a father. So you have a whole set of responsibilities that I, that I don't have. Yeah. It's crazy. (laughs) But for the degenerates like me, you can, you can do your work. I'm not transporting myself back and forth, you know, like the gym, I'm doing bodyweight workouts in my living room. So probably have like two, between like two, two and a half hours. I just come back into my day because I'm not leaving. And so I'm just sitting around and dumb shit pops up into my head and like one out of every hundred of those ideas will be something that I'll actually want to do. But it's, it's like a, a, almost a hyper creative state. I feel like in quarantine, cause you're sitting around with yourself for for much longer than you usually do. Yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. Yeah. I've definitely been uh, in that same headspace where it's just like you just have that little bit of extra time to go a little bit further with your thoughts and and be like, oh, shit, I'm thinking about dissing myself on on a record. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you can actually explore it. The, the things that pop up in your head on a walk or something, you can go back and you're sitting there and you're like, I have an hour. Maybe I'll record this or maybe I'll write that oh, article true. and yeah, maybe yeah, I'll to make it do whatever. Happen. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's, yeah, that it's, that's crazy, man. But yeah, yeah, dude, I appreciate that time. And it's like, you know, I think about people who don't necessarily have an outlet or like a a thing that they like to do, or they haven't discovered what their passion was because I, because of whatever reason, you got to imagine like, what what the fuck are they doing right now? They're sitting there, probably watched every show that they could watch. And then now they're just like trying to figure out what the you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and then that's when, you know, maybe perhaps from those moments, like people discover whatever their next passion would be because from boredom, you know, comes creativity, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And so 
So it's, it's interesting. I think it's an interesting time for a lot of people. And I think it was actually like the perfect time to hit the reset button. I think life, you know, has a funny way of working like that, you know, where, you know, I think we were just, just as, as a, as a country, you know, just as the globe, as a human civilization, I think we were, you know, just inundated with, you know, news headlines and headlines on the internet popping up, fake news, real news, arguing with people Mm -hmm. on Facebook back and forth. And then, you know, life just came along. It was just like, all right, well, how much does all this really matter? You know what I'm saying? You guys, you know, acting stupid out here. Well, here's a preview of what life could be. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like forever, bro. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it's it's a a much needed reset for for a lot of people. Um, And as long as you use the time wisely and you're smart about it. Yeah, it's definitely a reset. I, I I saw someone tweet something the other day that was like, it took some guy biting into a bat in China for us to actually be <laughs> social on social media. Is that actually what happened? Someone I, like ate a fucking bat? From what I understand and and some of the the people that I followed recently on Twitter that are actually virologists and and should be the one speaking about this, but I mean, I'll pretend like I'm a virologist for one second. I'll Whoa, take their credentials. Virologist. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm not even going to pretend like I know what the fuck a virologist is. They, uh, they study viruses. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. I learned something. That's, what, that's what I found out too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they said, they, they talk about how there were animals in China that were in close proximity to each other in these meat markets. And there's just a bunch of exotic meats all over the place. Stuff that we don't eat here, like bats, ferrets, dogs in cages and just really close to each other. So apparently these diseases can spread from one animal to the next. And then from that animal can go into humans. So it's basically like an incubator for viruses, which is why these markets are so bad, why, why gotcha, they should yeah, outlaw yeah. just yeah. keeping all these animals, weird animals in, in close proximity to each other. And then that allows it to kind of marinate and then yeah. a better chance of jumping over to the human, human population. Wow. That's crazy. Well, yeah. thanks, 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 China. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it's uh, crazy how like one event and, and some cultural taboo of their society can be responsible for an entire thing just overtaking the globe. Like literally one guy ate a bat supposedly and then caught this virus and then flash forward four months later and, you know, 200,000 people are infected. Yeah, it's, it's crazy, dude. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. But I also, it's also like, okay, when things like that happen, which, you know, it's, things like that are bound to happen, you know, when you've got how many billion people on the planet? Is it 7 billion plus? Yeah, it's seven seven billion and change. Seven billion and change. So when you've got seven billion people, things are bound to happen. You can't keep control of everything, right? But it's what happens and how we react when those things happen, right? And apparently, like from what I'm reading from multiple sources, is like we had the information two, three months ago. You know, yeah. that this this could potentially happen, and we sat on it. <laughs> it's just like you know, you know, something crazy's potentially about to hit, yeah. you know, and, and you don't do anything about it. And now look, you know? there were a lot of experts blowing the whistle too. back in the early 2000s after the, the SARS outbreak and, right, right. and previous outbreaks saying, you know, these things are going to happen again. There, there's a hundred percent possibility. There's a hundred percent probability of this happening again. It's just yeah. when it's going to happen and how deadly it's going to be and what we're going to do to prepare for it. And I, and I think, 
you know, it's human nature to be bad at long-term planning. We, we don't really recognize threats mm. as well unless they're right in front of us. So wow. things yeah. like climate change or, you know, there could be a virus outbreak in 20 years from now. We're lucky that it's only as fatal as it is right now, which is still terrible. But right, there right. could be something that comes in the future. Like this could be a dress rehearsal for something much worse in the future. I mean, so I hope we learn from it. Yeah, it definitely is. And I'm, yeah, it definitely is. And, you know, I just, you need the right people to learn from it, right? Because there's not, there's not much we can do. I mean, there, there's a lot we can do. Um, but in terms of like preventing it or having advanced knowledge, you know, all that stuff happens at some of the top levels, you know, intelligence agencies, federal governments, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Stuff like that, where they need to be relaying those messages to us because we don't get that information on a daily basis. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, you know, stuff like that. It's like, all right, hopefully the government learns from that. You know what I'm saying? And then yeah. from there, we'll be able to learn what we need to do in our daily lives. You know what I'm saying? Like there's people out there fucking licking toilet seats and doing coronavirus challenges and shit. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like, because the government don't take it that seriously. So, mm-hmm. you know, you don't expect everyone else to take it that seriously. Yeah, there's some dumb fucking people out there. <laughs> some dumb like, ass people. Like, as, as smart as the smartest people are, <laughs> there are also people that are that dumb. <laughs> and then you have the whole, like most people are just like chilled in the middle. And I'm one of those average Joes that's just like, watching the dumb people and being like, how the fuck could they do that? And then I'm watching the smart people. I'm like, yo, how the fuck did they do that? And then like, I'm just in the middle, just chilling. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you, bro. You're right there in the middle. Uh, it's crazy, it's crazy, dude. Yeah. There was actually some kids out here that were um like in one of the places I live at in Virginia. It's like, they're out there fucking coughing on produce. You know what I'm saying? And like Jesus. the coronavirus challenge, like, you know, and it's just like, what the fuck? You know, well, I don't understand. <laughs> like, who does that? So if, it's if where they, we're at. You know what I'm saying? It's like, do it for the gram. You know what I'm saying? That's where we yeah. are. That's where, you know, at least this next generation, uh, a good portion of them, that's where they're at. You know what I'm saying? Is they yeah. just think shit is hilarious all the time. Yeah, whatever, whatever they can catch on camera. It's, yeah. I, I've, I have... I don't know if you call it sympathy, but I could at least understand having been a dumb teenager what it's like to have an For idea sure. and then just, and then just do it. Like there's no separation. You just, an idea runs right. through your head and you just do it and you don't think about it at all. But now with, you know, Snapchat, Instagram, and you being able to show it in real time, then that urge is even quicker. Like if one of your dumbass friends says, yo, let's go viral on TikTok and we'll, and we'll cough on some lettuce or cough on some cabbage oh, or something. Man, and then you do it. Now it's like that extra aspect of social media just eggs you on even more. Yeah. Yeah. I, but they gotta be levels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they gotta, they gotta be levels to it. Yeah. Like you, you can't be that, that fucking crazy. Like I did a lot of dumb shit, you know what I'm saying? Like as a, as a, as a teenager, I definitely was, you know, uh, situations where, you know, I, it could have went way left. Um, mm-hmm. and lucky for me, it didn't, you know, but that's just me, a product of growing up in the Bronx and then, you know, kind of, that was a time too, where it's like the streets were being glorified and, you know, it was still happens to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there's levels to it. It's like, you can't, I, I don't know, licking toilet seats on some fucking Yeah, those are definitely the dumbest shit, of the man. dumb. That's coughing the on. dumbest shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's just too much. So, so going back to, to growing up in the Bronx, is there, is there a particular situation in your mind where you could have 
like you said, took a, took a hard left and, you know, went in a certain direction, but you ended up thinking better about it and, and your life was better for have not gotten into that situation or just going down that road? There's definitely like one situation where uh, I got into some stuff. Me and some friends were, we were hooligans. And we got into some stuff that uh, ended up in us getting arrested and stuff. And we could have gone away for uh, a while. You know what I'm saying? Like a, a, a nice long vacation, as they say. Yeah, quarantine. Yeah, yeah. That's the real quarantine <laughs> Nice right long there. quarantine. <laughs> Lucky for us, we didn't have any like priors or anything like that. And so, you know, they have this thing called the youthful offender uh, treatment, which, you know, if you stay out of trouble for X amount of time, they'll put you in like some sort of probationary thing. And, you know, if you stay out of trouble for like, let's say five years, you can, it, it gets expunged from your record and you're allowed to like live a normal life. And it's kind of like your one get out of jail free car, quite literally, yeah. literally you know. And so I, I was lucky enough to be in a situation where the judge was lenient and gave us that way out. And, you know, but that could have very easily changed the entire course of my life. I would not be here making music. I would not be here talking to you. I would not be, you know, as successful as I am as an independent artist or as anything, quite like really, if that had taken, if it had gone left instead of right. And so, you know, that stands out to me as, as a, a, you know, as a reminder that, you know, life can change at any moment, you know what I'm saying? And, and that's, you know, and, and me just having that as a foundation is exactly why in situations like this, where life has changed for everybody with the snap of a finger, I'm able to kind of adapt my mentality quickly and just, you know, think of, all right, what's next to do? Like, what do we do from here? And, and try and figure out a way forward. You know what I'm saying? It's instead of getting stuck. And now you're in, uh, you're in voluntary quarantine instead of involuntary. Voluntary quarantine. <laughs> voluntary quarantine is the best, I got best way to go. snacks. I got TV. I got, you know, say all the things I would not have if it was involuntary quarantine. So to go back to the touring aspect a little bit, are there similarities that you notice between cities that are far away geographically, but also love hip hop? Like, so, like two places that come to mind for me would be like Atlanta and Berlin. Like they, they both love hip hop. One's in the United States, one's in Germany. They, they love hip hop to different levels and are into different trends, but there's definitely like a, a fandom that exists there. For you, what similarities do you see between those cities when you, when you go there or you perform there? And it doesn't have to be those two in particular, just like... No, that's pretty good because, I mean, there's a, the sort of similarities, just the way we debate, like who, you know, who's the best, you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like, uh, quote unquote, like barbershop talk, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where you get into hour-long debates about who you think is your, the best artist and why, you know what I'm saying? And and just the, that interaction, it, I feel like it's so universal. Just from my experience going over to Germany and, you know, talking with some of the, the fans out there and talking to them about what they like right now and who they're listening to. Um, and then trying to put them on to what it is that I'm vibing with or, you know, what we're listening yeah. to back home. And then you get into like that, who's your top five or who's your top 10? And so just the way that conversation kind of happens to me, it like, it's all genres. Um, it's all, all mediums of entertainment. So it's like even the way we talk about sports. And so I think that's super cool because those are two places, th these are two places that are like 
the distance of an ocean. You know what I mean? And, you know, we're still able to find that like common ground and we're still able to communicate in that way. So I'll say that's the biggest like similarity. That sense of debate that translates to to wherever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love that. You know, because I, I talk a lot of shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm from New York. That's what I love. Yeah. Ra- ranking, rankings are good for talking shit. Yeah. And it's how, <laughs> it's how you find out about people. You're like, all right, you're a, you're a real sports fan. Right. Like, give me, your, give me your top five quarterbacks of all time. Exactly. Or, or, you know, top five rappers, whatever it is. And then based on that, you gauge someone's how well they know something. If, they, if they're bluffing and they're right. actually reason behind it or they're just like, ah, psh, like... Let's not get into yeah, it because yeah. they don't really have a top five. Yeah, you size each other up. Yeah, and that, and uh, even if you disagree, but you can see that somebody has the the knowledge and you know uh, and the awareness of what's going on, you can say you can at least gain some respect for them. You say, all right, I don't agree with that, but I, I can see what you're saying. <laughs> I see what you're saying. Yeah, that too. If it if it doesn't get too heated, then it, it yeah, leads to exactly. a learning opportunity, exactly. and you say, okay, okay, like. <laughs> Yeah. Tell me why this guy's in your top five or whatever when things cool off. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, it's it's cool. Um, and then I guess the, I, I, to kind of play off that, the differences would be, I mean, overseas, just in general, the appreciation for music and for being able to see your favorite artists and live in concert, um, it's it's bar none. Like overseas, they just really appreciate, you know, the fact that you know, artists from the States took the time and, and energy to to come over and perform because um, that's something that doesn't happen, you know, very often. They they might see their favorite artists once a year, if that. Mm-hmm. And whereas here in the States, like people are touring throughout the, the States uh, every couple months, you know, so you kind of get spoiled. Yeah. And, and even then it's like, there's like 10 concerts going on and every, at any given on any given night. That's really hit home now, especially since nothing's yeah. really going on. Cause you're right. I, we do get spoiled, especially me in, in, uh, in Brooklyn where you can, you know, there's 25 things going on every single night, whether it's from like a 30 person venue or 3000 person venue, you can find something to go to if you really want to. And, and same thing in Manhattan. And now that that's taken away, it's, I guess you can compensate for it somewhat by listening to music. And I, and I know some artists are doing some live things, but I don't think anything will ever replace the, the in-person concert experience. Oh yeah, no way. You know, just for the simple fact that, I don't know, it's, it's weird because being in person, you get to like see like all the mannerisms, you know, you, you get to, mm-hmm. you get to hear the, the audio quality live and you you know that's where you either gain a huge respect for the artist that you like or you start to say or you say like oh well that sounds a lot different from the album why does it sound different oh yeah that's because mm-hmm. that motherfucker yeah. uses auto-tune like crazy <laughs> and yeah. it, it takes away yeah, from exactly some of the appreciation that you have for that artist so it's really like being in in the arena you know what i'm saying like and for both the fans and the artists being able to prove yourself, you know what I'm saying? And, and give the fans an experience at the same time. Um, if you really do care about the art of performing my favorite concert to this day, or my my fa- one of my favorite acts um, to see is empire of the sun, you know, um, that's mm-hmm. a, a, a group duo or band, band, whatever that I didn't grow up listening to. I, I grew up listening to Mace and, and Pac and big yeah. and big L and, you know, Cameron Dipset, all those guys. But when you go to their show, it's not just one person like 
traditional rap shows used to be where you just pace back and mm-hmm. forth on stage. It's like glittered capes, people walking on stilts. Uh, you know what I'm saying? People doing acrobatics. There's laser lights and LED screens. And and then you're sharing that experience with like, because their shows at festivals are ridiculous. You're sharing that experience with like 10, 15, 20,000 people. And it just makes for such a moment. You know what I'm saying? And how the fuck would you ever do that on a stream? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, No, you can't. Yeah. You can't. You, you can never replicate that the whole spiritual right. aspect of a of a music performance where you feel connected to the artist on stage and then you also feel connected to each other. Right, right. I guess on a live stream, you still have that connection with right. an artist, but you're not, you know, you're not feeding off of the vibe of the, you know, the sweat yeah. on the walls and like jump people jumping around and like all that stuff you can you can touch and right. feel. And it's got me thinking about the like how right now we're we're trying to figure out what businesses and what segments of society are essential. And so we'll always have, the government will always provide assistance and bailouts for things like big banks or uh, the, the, the banks come to mind just because of the, when the financial crisis happened and, and banks were going under, the government basically stepped in and said, that's too big to fail. We're going to have to, give you guys some funding and just give you help. But then you have the, the arts community, which now is suffering a lot, a lot because of the lack of live events that are being able to be held in person. And if huge companies that organize these festivals and and keep these venues open, if they start to go under, will the government step in and see the value of the arts community and say, like, whoa, 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 we can't let like all this dissolve. We, we, like we helped out the banks. We also have to help out the the arts community or like music, dance, Broadway shows, like like stuff like that, like things that give people a release and an escape. Yeah, no, it's, it's crazy, dude. And, you know, that's, that's so like, I've been thinking about that just in general and kind of just thinking about how almost expendable, if that's the right word, uh, the art community is. Just because, like, if you think about it, the, you know, banks give out loans, right? And people's homes are purchased through banks. People's businesses are started through loans that they got from banks. The banks are just such a cornerstone and, like, quintessential part of America and the capitalism that happens in America, that if you let the banks fail, it's not even just the bank, you're almost letting America fail. Right. And you, and so I get Mm -hmm. it from like the business standpoint where you need to give out those bailouts so they can stay afloat so that everybody can stay in their homes. Because if you let the banks, all of them just crash, this country is gone as you could just kiss it goodbye. But if you let the art community crash, okay, what's the worst thing? You don't have music. You don't have, you know what I'm saying? You don't have entertainment Mm -hmm. and we can, you know, people, I mean, you still would have entertainment. It would just be, you'd be watching somebody struggling at a, at a, at a cafe in, in your community singing for pennies on the dollar. Um, And that's arguably where some of the greatest art came from was that struggle and, and, Mm -hmm. Uh, people doing it purely for the art, right? Because it wasn't a get rich thing at one point. At one point, you couldn't get rich from just singing. 
but you can always get rich by giving people loans and then charging them interest on that loan to pay you back over the course of 30 years. So, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's weird. And so it's, I feel like it's almost uh, a very, it's a loaded subject because, you know, you want to fight for the art community of arts and entertainment, but you just, you also know that at the end of the day in a capitalistic society, you know, the banks reign supreme. And so the only way to really fix that is for the art community to start giving out motherfucking loans <laughs> and, and, and having like, you know what I'm saying? Like having some real stake in, in the welfare of America. Yeah. Like ha- having reserves and stuff for, for yeah. a time like this where, you know, you can say, all right, you know, here's, here's some, some money so you can keep creating in the meantime, yeah. almost like a bailout for, for other small businesses. And I think it's also, it's easy to quantify the effect that banks and getting loans has on society because you can right. put a number on it. But how do you quantify the the hope of going to a Broadway show or, or the the intense high you get from going to see your favorite artist in person? And then you channel that back into the work that you do, even if you if even if you aren't in the creative industry, even if you're just like, you know, someone who's an investment banker that listens to music in the background and like does work or uses it to work out. So like, how do you quantify the effect that arts have? So I think that also has something to do with it too, that you can't put a number and be like, you know, if we lose this community, people will be 20% or 30% less productive. It's kind of hard to to see. Oh yeah. No, you hit it right on the head, bro. That's exactly what it is. I mean, I guess... There's no way to really, you know, say I guess take the music away and see what happens. <laughs> if if the suicide rate yeah. goes up, I mean, th- th- you know that people needed that music to cope with their day to day lives. Yeah, well, at least see what happens with live music going away. See, you know, what type of effect that has on people not not being able to go see, you know, event and just events overall in person. Just being able to congregate and and share an experience with someone else, which is why so many people are hopping on podcasts or Zoom to talk to, you know, 15 friends at a time that normally they would see going out to a restaurant or a bar or a concert or something like that. Yeah, no, absolutely, dude. Yeah, it's a good point, you know, and I guess we're in the middle of that experiment right now. And, you know, I I think things are just getting more intense with time. And right now it's only been a couple of weeks two weeks, something like that, three weeks. But what happens if, you know, it's when, when we get to two month mark, you know what I'm saying? When business still haven't resolved, it, you know, because I mean, the two things that are most scary about everything right now is reinfection and mutation. Because if this thing like mutates into something different, and so the people who got the original strand of the coronavirus are no longer immune and they can catch it and then you know what I'm saying? Like circulate that. This could be forever, bro. Yeah, like the flu changes every year. If we get if we get a vaccine for this strand of coronavirus, it doesn't mean we'll be able to fight the you next one. You know what I'm one. saying? So this could be a, 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 yeah. a long journey. Hopefully it's not. Knock on wood, man. I would never, yeah. you know, hope for that. But, uh, yeah, I hope <laughs> you not. Know, you never know. How has becoming a father these past couple of years changed the the framework in any way for which you approach music? To be honest, it hasn't really changed it much. I know, you know, I could have like a a super hallmark response to that, but I had such a hunger 
from the very beginning when it came to music and, you know, how seriously I approached the craft of, of making music and, and writing music that, you know, I don't think it could get more intense. If anything, it just makes me a little bit more appreciative to be able to do what it is that I do so that one day, you know, when my daughter's old enough, she's only two now, so, but she's super smart for being two. So I feel like I could still, I can have conversations with her and she gets it. But, you know, when she's a little bit older, I can be an example. I, I can't, you know, because my parents always told me like, you can do whatever you want, but but then at certain times in life, they had to work for someone else's business or um, someone else's agenda. It couldn't entirely be their own. And so, you know, for me, my entire adult life, I've been able to call the shots, move how I want to move, bring my ideas to life um, whenever I feel like, whenever I felt like there was an idea worth testing. And so, you know, I can be living proof that, you know, I can, you know, so when I have a conversation with her, I can say, you know, Riley, you know, you can, you can do it because I did it. You know what I'm saying? And Mm -hmm. if you feel strongly enough about something um, and you have a decent support system, you know, um, and, you know, you catch a few lucky breaks, you know, that, you know, you can totally be in full control of, of what it is that you do. And, and granted, you know, there's some things in life where if she had a passion to be, a firefighter or astronaut, you know, you know, you're going to have to answer to NASA. (laughs) You're going to have to answer to your local community. (laughs) Um, So there's always people to answer to, but as long as you're the driving force behind whatever it is that you want to do and, and, and you can feel happy about that, then, you know, I can, I can have those conversations with her and say like, you can, you can definitely do that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and you've been a driving force as an independent artist for a long time, which, Thank you, my which man. got me thinking. <laughs> trying, yeah, trying. of course. It got me thinking, what would a major label have to look like for you to want to be on board for what they wanted to do with you? Because no doubt you've had the option to explore some opportunities like that. If you could look into the future and a year from now, Jonas is on a, a major label what would that label look like? What what would they have have to have done and been uh, fulfilling to you for you to sign on for something like that? I think, so I'm at a different point now. My answer would have been totally different earlier on in my career. But now that I've had a chance mm-hmm. to prove to myself that I could achieve certain things, just even stuff as silly as like getting a million streams, you know, and now we've done that 500 times over. You know, silly mm-hmm. things like, you know, small things yeah. like setting up an LLC and uh, what does it take to do that? Um, small things like having phone calls with a, a legal team to negotiate a contract with a producer or negotiate a contract with a distribution partner. Small things like, okay, well, how to find the right mm-hmm. distribution partner, you know what I'm saying, um, to partner with who's going to uh, actually help you mm-hmm. with the, the things that you need to make sure that a, a release is successful. These are all like little goals that I had um, facilitating a feature with an artist that was bigger than you. You know what I'm saying? Because that takes you, you know, sometimes having to cough up some some money, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and make that happen to line their pockets. And now you broke bread with somebody that you look up to and can, you know, lean on them for advice. Because, you know, once you open the wallet, it seems like the phone lines open, the text messages open and everything. Um, so hold on. Just lost my light here. Hold on a second. I oh, know you're good. I got my little setup, you know what I mean? (laughs) 
Sounds like you could open up your own school of music, Jonas School of yeah, Music, dude, how, to, how to get a feature, how to get a million streams, how to, how to sign, how to, uh, you know, basically run your own label. All the things that if a young artist signs from the jump to a, to a major label and doesn't really have to worry about those things, I guess that's a double-edged sword. If you're with a ma- major label, you have a lot of responsibility that you don't have to worry about right, that right. it's other people's jobs to take care of. But then at the same time, it's also nice to be able to learn how to do that myself or yourself, just so if things aren't in the same situation in the future, you don't have to, uh, you don't have to worry about it. Hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't take your, know. T- take your time with the I'm mic. Like, I, got, I got all So this day. little setup, I, this was me trying to be all MacGyver and shit. I got like a LED light to make sure that people could see I me. Might, I might have the same uh, oh, yeah. boom arm. Oh, yeah, it looks like from the, from the Similar like boom arm, it looks like. Yeah, snapped yeah, it, uh, snapped it onto this table right here. Right. It's coming handy. See if see if you were if if you were on a uh, you see what I'm saying major label Yo, you wouldn't have to worry about this. You ain't lying, bro. No, I'm just you kidding. You're not lying. <laughs> now I know how. To but set now it you know. But now you, you know, know how to set up a microphone. Yes, it is. It's a hard it's part, of, life, part of the school. Part of the school <laughs> music. Um, hold on one second. I got this. Oh yeah, go ahead. See, this is real 101 right here, bro. This is real life. Yes. This right. is problem okay, solving right. 101. Yes. How do it? How do adjust right, in so real time? Right. Come, on. Come on now. Come on now. There you go. Wow, this is gonna be the illest finesse right here. Once we get this rolling, to go right back yeah. into the question and just answer the shit. This start to uh, <laughs> to a studio theme porno. Yeah. Some girl comes in and oh, says, oh my God. "Excuse that me, do you need help amazing. with uh, your microphone?" <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Yo, I can use some hilarious. help. Oh, you still hear me? <laughs> oh yeah, look at that. I still got you. Yeah, oh, we're good to go. Oh, we're good to go. Silky smooth. So, so yeah, no. Silky smooth. Yeah. What yeah, were we, yeah. ta- what uh, we talking no, about? Oh, the, uh, the, the school of music. Of, of doing things, you know, yourself, you know what I'm saying? You know, so from all those things, right? Uh, it just, it just gave me that um, confidence uh, so that when I go into a major label situation, if I go into a major label situation, you know, I know what to look for and, you know, what the A&R is doing. I know what to look for and what the packaging people are doing with the album, with the communication with the DSPs, uh, d- digital service providers you know, what a release is supposed to look like, what a rollout is supposed to look like, how many months in advance you need to, to properly get into the right people's ear to, to, you know, kind of preface the project so that people are anticipating it and waiting for it, what the legal paperwork is supposed to look like between the main artists and the producers if, if the artist isn't producing all their own stuff, what the splits are supposed to be traditionally between, you know, artist, producer, any other writers that might be on the tracks you know, how to go out there and collect your publishing, you know, from both, you know, here in the, in the, in the States, as well as overseas, you know, there's a whole world of things that goes into being an artist that people don't even like 80% of it, people don't even think about, you know, and, and there's so much money that's left on the table. I got friends that, you know, I've put on and said, 
oh, by the way, you probably got a $20,000 check that's sitting overseas right now that if you signed up with XYZ, they could go out there and they specialize in collecting that for you. Um, And in six to nine months, you'll get that check because you've been accumulating all these different streams and you haven't even signed up for an account with this company. And that's the only way for you to get that check. So there are artists right now that have potential income that they're just not cashing in on with the with the streams and stuff like that? Oh my God. I'm telling you, man, like it's it's actually kind of insane. Do you not get notified? Like say I put out a, a, a song or an album, whatever, and I have 20,000 just sitting in an account or something in, in Germany or whatever, or p- a potential income from streams. No one reaches out to you and says, hey, just to let you know, you could be cashing in on this. You have to do that yourself. Yeah, there's, I'm telling you, man, you know, what what happens to those uncollected royalties over the course of, I think they hold on to it for three, four, five years, something like Mm -hmm. that. And then it goes into what's called the black box, right? And it's like this black box fund that if no one's collected those royalties in that time period, they take that money and they distribute it out to the top earning artists as an added like bonus. (laughs) <laughs> check. That seems like the opposite of what it should have. They should give it to the lowest uh, returning artists and be yes. like, because nah. the top don't need anything more. If you're, if you're, no, no disrespect to someone, but if you're like Post Malone or Ariana Grande or whatever, and you don't even, like, you're not even in charge of your own operation, you got a constant stream of income. You don't need that extra money on the top. No. You know what I mean? And, you know, that, but that's what happens. You know, they'll, they distribute that out and the artists will never see that money, you know, if they haven't collected it in that time frame. It seems like so, some, like something that should, and, and I know people are working on it in the music industry, but just to make the, the payment for something like a songwriting split or royalties more transparent and just more interconnected, like a web. Like if you have royalties that you could cash in on and so and so country that's all connected so you get notified about that or or someone your label lets you know or like the information is coming to you instead of you having to go out there and basically find your money like that's what it sounds like you have to like go see where it is that that seems like the opposite of what it should be oh yes it everything is is opposite day in the in the music world but i think I think the main thing with that is the music industry just needs to uh, find like a way to centralize everything. I think that there's so many different compartments to to the industry where you almost have to like go through a maze to achieve this part, or you need to then go down this hallway to go achieve that part. And if you turn too soon before getting to the end of that hallway, you miss the whole fucking room to begin with, right? And so it's like, it's really a maze. And, you know, it's really tough to navigate if you don't have the knowledge. And the only way to get the knowledge is to talk to experienced people, seasoned people who aren't very accessible. And so, you know, it's it's just this constant cycle of lack of information. And, you know, now luckily for, you know, up and coming artists, if they have if they have the motivation, they could find information out on the internet, you know, because at one point artists didn't have that. And that's when, you know, you know, some of your favorite artists and some of the most legendary artists uh, were actually screwed over on the business side on the back end because they just didn't have that information and there was nowhere to get the information. It's not like it was at a local library. 
that's where the the Jonas School of Music comes you in. Know what I'm the, the lecture, the lectures. Yeah, <laughs> this is, man. It's like this is how you know if you're getting fucked over with uh, royalty payments or whatever. Hundred percent, dude. And and so I guess to like just cap that whole thing off is you know the music industry just needs to find like you know a way to centralize everything so that it's a one stop shop and you get everything. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't mm-hmm. have to go. F- searching for um, royalties over in Germany. You don't have to go searching for your royalties here. You're publishing here in in the U.S. If they can find a way to like centralize that and make it just a one-stop shop where everyone's treated fairly and everyone collects their money and it's just like an organization that makes sure that that's all handled, you know, I think it, it, it would do for the artist community. You know, it's, it's also a way that eventually you could set up benefits for artists. You know, if you if you find a way to centralize everything, you can, you know, because a lot of artists don't have health insurance. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, imagine being in this time right now where coronavirus is happening. You know, you might be able to take the test for free, but then, you know, certain treatments are come out of pocket. I, I don't know, some weird shit going on where people are getting bills for being mm-hmm. in the hospital for literally a pandemic. You know what I'm saying? And so being a musician and being an artist without health insurance, that's got to be the scariest thing in the world. You know what I'm saying? And then you think about like people like folks that are going through mental health issues and not having the ability to uh, find help in that area. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? Like this all just comes from the music industry not having a centralized place uh, where you can get all the information, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and where it's a one-stop shop for everybody so that, you know, there's, there's no stone unturned and nobody gets uh, left behind, you know. It seems like one of the the major benefits of being independent is that it makes you unbullshittable in a sense where if you decide to go to a label in the future and, and they tell you, you know, this is going to take so-and-so weeks or, or this is going to take three months to do or we're going to have to pay X amount of dollars for this and you've done that already yourself, you know what that's going to cost or how much time that's actually going to take you. I guess it makes you more immune to the bullshit having done it all yourself already. Oh yeah. hundred percent. No, absolutely. That's what I, you know, that's what I was saying. It's like you, you gain that experience of dealing with the lawyers. Um, you gain that experience of dealing with a distribution company. Um, you gain that experience of, of dealing with your peers and other artists. So you know what to look for, you know what I'm saying? And, and other people to make sure that they're doing the right job. You know what to look for in a manager. You know what I'm saying? Like once you get to that point independently where you need to hire a manager to help you with like some of your day-to-day stuff and, and you know, taking your career to the next level, you get to go through that experience and know what you should be expecting from a manager. And you can kind of get screwed over on a small basis so that when you get to the big stuff, you're, you've already been screwed over. So you don't get screwed over on the millions. Cause that's where it's like sad. It's like these, some of these artists, man, they're getting screwed out of millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. Um, and then they end up broke because of the way that their contracts are put together. You know what I'm saying? So it's good. I, I, I would say that every artist needs to experience at least the first two, three years of their career independently. You know what I'm saying? And then, you know, how do you regain lost focus if you're getting after it in the studio and for some reason things don't feel like it's clicking or you don't feel like you're tapping into that energy like you do at your highest point? How, what type of things do you do to regain that focus? Man, I just go live life. It's 
sometimes it's good to be to not be focused. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's good to lose the focus and to focus on some other things because at the end of the day, music is is based on life experiences. And so you can't gain life experiences by being in the studio all day. You know, and so eventually you're gonna have to go out into the world and just live your life for a little bit, go through relationships and breakups and, you know, uh, tiffs with friends and uh, making some mistakes in life, uh, drinking too much, partying, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Going broke a little bit and getting back on your feet. You got to go through all those things because then it makes for a great album. (laughs) You know what I mean? No, exactly. I I think about that too, because, you know, when you're, when you're podcasting, if you're in the studio all day and you're spending all your time editing or, or recording and you're not really getting out when things are normal, when, when, you know, bars are open, restaurants are open, like you can go to live events, then it kind of saps that experience and that creative energy that you use to, to fuel your creativity that used to fuel your music or whatever it is you're writing, you're podcasting. And so sometimes, you know, when I know that I need to step away from the studio, I tell myself that this activity is going to recharge me. Like I'm going to, I'm going to be better for it. Cause sometimes I struggle with that where I think the answer is just to work through the lost focus. Work, 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 work. keep working. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I I think a lot of that has to do with just like the vibe of New York city too, where you're just surrounded by the hustle. But I think that, when you get away from that a little bit, you start to see how just doing nothing can be a benefit. Just going for a walk or like listening to music in the morning on your walk to work or subway ride where you're just, you're not trying to make or do anything. You're just being there. You're just like existing for a little bit. Yeah. That's the biggest misconception, man. It's like sometimes doing nothing is the most productive thing you can be doing. What do you consider? See, I got my little hallmark. You yeah, know there you saying? go. I be sliding yeah. them in there. <laughs> you, you slide them in and set those cards out. There you go. What do you consider your biggest comparative strength as a hip hop artist and a rapper? What do you mean? In the realm of, of of rapping, if you look at all of your peers and the, the different things that they hone in on, their different strengths, their different weaknesses, the things that they focus on in, in, in rapping and in hip hop, what do you consider your biggest strength or one of your biggest strengths when you look at it as a whole and then you kind of zoom in on Jonas? Shit. That's a tough one. I guess just my resilience because that just like it, it shows, it rears its head in like so many different ways. If you don't have that resilience, like you can't continue to create even when the well has run dry. You know what I'm saying? Because, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, there's like there's moments where you just have to do nothing and allow the well to fill back up because there's going to be moments where you tap out. But it's like, how many times can you refill that well? You know what I'm saying? Like some people can only do it once, you know, and that's why they have maybe a good freshman album and then a good sophomore album. And then they just got nothing left. You know, it just that it will never fill back up mentally, emotionally. They just get so drained out that, you know, it's just like they tap out. Um, And then 
you know, maybe they try and force it. And then the third, fourth, fifth project just sound like somebody that's miserable and doesn't want to be doing what they're doing. You know, and so for me, I'm able to fill that well up every single time it dries out. You know what I'm saying? And I can do that for the rest of my life. You know, and I, I know that just because I've done it so many times. When you're at a point in your life, when you feel like that well is drying up a little bit, what do you think about or, or what what kind of processes do you hone in on in order to focus on filling that well, well back up and not just, you know, a lot of people, because a lot of people would just leave it, let it dry out and then just that's it. Like, fuck it. I'm, I'm just going to get a real job or something like that. Like what, yeah. what do you focus on when you feel that well it's starting to dry up or things that you remind yourself of? I just, they, I love to do this, you know? I love making music. It's a blessing to be able to even uh, have this be my career. I could be doing something that I really wouldn't like doing, you know what I'm saying? And then that would really be the definition of terrible. And I just kind of, I find new ways to look at the world. You know what I'm saying? Which I think is important for an artist to do because, you know, you also don't want to have the same approach over and over and over again to the point where you're sounding the same and everything that you do, you're talking about the same things all the time. You know, then you start to sound like that drunk person on the corner that just is stuck in one fucking mm-hmm. zone all the time. And you're like, all yeah, right, yeah, that crazy guy with the, the bottle and the paper bag. <laughs> yeah, straight up. That's the, ooh. That's the, yeah. yo, man, if, if anything in this life I don't want to be is that guy. Um, yeah. No offense. I mean, that's uh, some people make choices and end up there. And, yeah, if you're that uh, guy listening to this podcast right now. It's, it's get up, out it's of it. <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? Get you, you, there's way, a way, way out. There's yeah, a way out. There's a way out. Trust. But just, you know, find a, a new way to, you know, find new ways to to look at the world, you know, whether that's, you know, through reading. I haven't read as much as I want to be reading uh, uh, recently last couple of years. But when I was younger, I read a lot, you know what I'm saying? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books. I could send you some good books after yes, this. Yes. Yes, please. Oh man, that'd be awesome. And yeah, it's just, you know what I'm saying? Just um, whether it's through reading or whether it's through watching even a good TV show and just like really dissecting the characters, like watch a TV show and don't just watch it and zone out. You know what I'm saying? Like watch it and appreciate the storyline. Maybe like jot down some ideas about what you like about a certain character. You know what I'm saying? Just think about, oh, why did the writer make this character this way? Um, how did the writer communicate what they saw on paper to the actor mm-hmm. or the producer or the director so that they could bring it to life, right? And you start mm-hmm. to think about the intricacies of all those different things going on. And then, you know, your your mind just opens up and, you know, and, and it bleeds into your art form, whatever that may be. Um, and you start to approach your craft um, a little bit differently and with the, and, and a little bit more re-energized because now you're no longer just like me, 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 me. You're writing from the perspective of being thoughtful about the rest of the world, other people. And then if you can really dive into like other people's struggles and other people's mentalities and other people's little quirks and stuff, man, I mean, you've got a whole world out there of what we said, 7 billion plus people that, you know, you can draw inspiration from, you know what I'm saying? And so, so it's just like that, you know, it's just, you know, you know, that's kind of what um, I do to, to kind of reset and to, to refill the well, so to speak. And, you know, when you do it that way, it makes it easy, man, because it's no longer about you. It's about what you can gain from the rest of the world. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And going back to to watching watching stuff, I think that 
watching TV or watching movies has more of a negative connotation than it should. Because I, I feel like in society, we think that reading is the active activity and you're using your creativity and imagination. And then watching is a passive activity where right. you're just getting everything spoon fed to you. But you can definitely be an active watcher of a TV series or, or a movie and, and try to break down in your head why it's happening and what's happening. Like you said, trying to figure out why a character is doing this yeah. or that. And there's also, there's a, there's a spectrum for both sides. Like there's garbage reading and then there's yeah, great reading is. too. <laughs> so like, it's not just because you're reading doesn't mean you're necessarily necessarily growing. And then the right. same thing on the the watching TV or movie side, there's, there's great TV and movies. And then there's also garbage TV movies that you just like leave on in the background. That's so, a great point. That's yeah, a great I, point. I think you can watch and grow just like you can read and grow. It's not necessarily a passive activity just because you're watching something. No, 100%. That's a great point. Yeah, you can watch and grow just like you can read and not grow and digress. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because, yeah, reading is looked at as the thing that 100% of the time, you know, stimulates your brain and makes you smarter and all that shit. Yeah. That's not true. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, you just, if I, I mean, no, no disrespect to BuzzFeed or whatever, but like, I, I don't really feel like I, grow when I'm reading a, a top 10 on, on Buzzfeed of like the bachelor right. or, or whatever, like, <laughs> nope. and just cause I'm reading an article or, and, and books too. There have been books that I've read where I'm just like, like, why did I waste two weeks reading that? Or, or now I, I, I'll just stop. But in the past, I always thought, you know, I'm reading, I got to finish this book cause yeah, yeah, it's cause, reading and right, it's right, good exactly, for me. Exactly. But now I'm way better at just kind of trying to recognize regardless of the medium of the content I'm I'm trying to think about how you know beyond just the entertainment value what can I take out of this no 100% that's a, that's a great point so one of the questions I wanted to ask you is is what do most people get wrong about you um well, that's a good question I think I stole it from someone Nice. Smart, smarter than me. Someone, someone that's in that upper echelon of, of Sparless. <laughs> uh, I took it, I grabbed it back to the middle. <laughs> no, theft is, is, is a, a, a form of flattery. Mm -hmm. Shit, man. I think maybe that, I, you know, that I'm more serious than, than I am, you know, at times. Just because I think New Yorkers get that in general because we walk around mm -hmm. like, you know, for, for years through New York streets, like, chest out and you yeah, know like we, shit. yeah we ain't gonna take yeah. that more importantly we ain't gonna take no shit yeah. you know so don't even try to start no shit mm -hmm. um and so you know developing that type of a swag and you know when i walk around now in suburban neighborhoods where <laughs> where i'll be at yeah. where i find myself at sometimes or like most of the time living out in va it, it, it could come off as standoffish and so maybe maybe that I don't know. You know, I don't know. That's a great question. I got to, I got to ask other people what they think. Yeah. And then maybe you see, oh, well, that's, that's not a, true. A, that's a good answer though, that, that you're not as serious or, or aggressive. Oh, aggressive. You know yeah. As you come out, as you, as you think that you come off to right. other people. Exactly. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I guess I did. I didn't really learn to walk around with, any type of bravado until I got into sports when I, when I started yeah. playing baseball when I was like 13 or 14. That'll do it. I grew up in, uh, 
in Plainview, Long Island, which is, and then they called it Plain Jew because it's like the whitest, most Jewish neighborhood oh, that I'm you could think of. I'm with Long Island, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you don't really get the, the city vibe. No one's like, everyone drives everywhere. You're not really running into people on the street. Like there's not as much confrontation. So I didn't really get those aggressive moments until I was on the baseball field with other guys. And yep. you, they were like started to to test you, like see like, all right, like, is this kid a pussy? Like, what is he going to do if I talk shit to him on the right. field or like stuff like that? Yep. So I, I definitely feel like I got that through sports. Yeah. Now, what, what position do you play? Pitcher. Pitcher. Okay. Nice. Yeah. That's definitely, that's, that's definitely a position where, yeah, I mean, you're facing how many guys in, in a lineup per nine guys team in a lineup, a and if you're if you're a starter, you're you're probably going through them two or three times. Yeah, so you got to face nine other dudes <laughs> three times yeah. in in a couple hours. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, so yeah, psychologically too. That's that's because I played baseball. I just didn't remember how many guys in the lineup because that changes too. No, it doesn't change actually from American League to National League. It's just you switch out the DH for the pitcher hitting, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, American League is DH. National League is the pitcher, pitcher hits. hits. Yeah, oh, I hated the National League. I wanted, I wanted to hit. I was just terrible at it. And when I was, when I was in high school, I hit a little bit. And then I knew I wanted to play baseball in college, and it would have been sick if I could have hit too. And the only, the only offers I got to play in college were for just pitching. So then I just had to come to the realization that I was a shitty hitter and I just had to had to go with pitching, which I love pitching. I'm, I'm grateful that I was a pitcher. But if I were to go back and live a second life as a baseball player, I would definitely want to be like a third baseman or like center fielder or something like that. Oh, third base was, yeah, third base was the move. Man, who do I used to like third base? Cal Ripken, that's obvious. Um, yeah. But it was a really random dude. Oh, Scott Brocious. Yeah. Scott Brocious, New York Yankees third baseman, man. That's a throwback. That's a, yo, bro, I'm telling you. What I, was that infield? You got Scott Brocious, Chuck Knobloch. Derek Cheater, uh, Tino. Derek uh, yeah. Paul, uh, Paul O'Neill was, was, Paul O'Neill, yeah. He was, I, I think with he was the, right with the field. helmet on his head. Yeah, 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 he was, he was out there in right field. Uh, we got Tino in there behind the plate. It was either Jorge Posada or Joe Girardi. And then center field, we had Bernie. And I forget we had left field. Left field was always like interchangeable as like Shane Spencer or some random fucking person. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yo, those were the days, dude. Bronx Bombers. I mean, it was an amazing time to be a, a Yankee fan uh, in the ni- like 90s when, when I paid the most attention to, to baseball and stuff. But yeah, that's, yeah, those are golden days, bro. Yeah, if I, if I was going to go back and be another position again, I would definitely want to be a Dominican shortstop, a shortstop <laughs> from the Dominican Republic. Like Yo, the, the way that's amazing. Because w- on my on my summer ball team, there were a bunch of kids that were from the DR, like some from Venezuela, just like Latino baseball players. Mm-hmm. And then when I started playing with them, that was like my introduction <laughs> to Flash and like making stuff look good. Like just because oh, you're yeah, making yeah. A, just because you're making a simple play yeah. doesn't mean you can't make it look good. And oh, yeah. just like the way that they carried themselves and like, it's a whole different culture down there. Like not only do you have to make the play, but like you're going to look good when you do it. Oh yeah. And like that, I, I would want to be a flashy Dominican shortstop for sure. Yeah. That would be- <laughs> I'm, I, I, could, I, hear, I feel you on that one, bro. Yeah. Cause who, who was dope. over there in uh, 
uh, that played for the Mets, um, Ray Ordonez. Yeah, that dude used to like get like grab backhands and flip over, roll over, jump up, throw it to first, and, and get people out. It was crazy. I remember we played uh we played George Washington High School my senior year uh, in high school, and uh, they had a shortstop that was supposed to go in the first round or, or the supplemental round, which is between first and second round for the the draft, and he must have been throwing, you know, upper 90s across the infield. And then he came into pitch. Oh, good and God. He, had, he warmed up like two pitches and then he was just pumping mid-90s to, to high school kids. And Fuck we, were, we were used to seeing low 80s and I was like, damn. Like, Fuck that noise. This kid, <laughs> this kid is swaggy as fuck and he throws hard yeah. as shit like that. It's no joke, man. I wonder where he is now. I hope he's still playing. You'd be surprised, man, because I played a little high school baseball, too. I played for uh, Beacon. Um, Okay. Yeah, Beacon uh, Blue Devils or Blue Demons. I forget. But, yeah, we actually won a division championship state. Um, We played at Shea Stadium and everything. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, and uh, we had a prospect uh, who was supposed to go pro and and ended up playing for um, a farm club, you know. But you just you'd be surprised, like once you get from out from that high school level, and then you go to co- college and or the pros. There's just so much talent, you know what I'm saying? And it's just difficult. Like some of the people you think there would be superstars, you know, it just you know they, they don't catch the right breaks, mm-hmm. and yeah. you know then they have to if they weren't smarter by it, they got to figure out what to do in life now because all they did was baseball or basketball, or whatever. Yeah, you know what I'm no, that's real. The the post athletic identity crisis is definitely something I went to once. Uh, baseball was taken away. What am I going to do with my life after that? Because it it just becomes yeah. a part of you, and you know, in in a lot of ways, it was more important than school and more important than going to class for me at times. Like I'd be like, fuck it. Like if I'm playing well, then I don't give a shit. <laughs> what else yeah. is, uh, what yeah. else is happening? And then after that, you kind of like podcasting has been huge and, and just looking for other outlets, especially creative outlets definitely helps with that identity shift. Yeah, absolutely. So something I wanted to end on is, uh, I saw that you you played the violin when you were younger, and that you had a, have a bit of experience in classical music. Yeah, how has that framed the way in which you approach music, or, or been uh, maybe changed changed the way you make music in a way that maybe you wouldn't have if you didn't play the violin or weren't exposed to classical music? Uh, I think pretty much just. Um it just gave me a foundation, you know what I mean? Um, and the melodies and the notation and the structure of the music is so complex, you know, with the different movements and the different instruments that play the different parts. And you get to learn, okay, you get to learn how to read music. And so through that whole process, it's like a rigorous process, man. Like you're practicing four hours a day. And then you're going to classes like two times a week uh, if you're like really into the thick of it. And so through that whole process, being surrounded by all this intricate music and the history of music and, you know, learning from people who studied at some of the top schools just to come teach kids Mm -hmm. how to play music. Being around that, but you like 
inherit all of that. Like you embody all of it, you know what I'm saying? And without even really being conscious of it, you're not thinking I'm going to be able to use this to create my own music one day. You just, At that point, you're just trying to figure out how do I play this successfully? How do I get past my recital so yeah. that I don't look like a fucking idiot <laughs> in front of everyone's parents yeah. and my teacher? And so that that's like your goal at that time. But then fast forward 10, 15, 20 years later, you've got that in you. So when you go to create your own music, you have like a wealth of you know ex- experiences to draw from. You have like a wealth of musical knowledge to draw from. Um, and so for me, now going to create hooks and top line, which is what they call uh, writing hooks, to like go over there and to studio sessions and and have to communicate music with people. I'm able to do that, which I think a lot of hip hop artists aren't able to do just because they haven't had the opportunity to to kind of experience that. So it just makes it easier for me to create. It makes, you know, it, it's like my second language. You know, I could go into any studio and feel right at home, you know, so with anybody. You know, it could be Ryan Leslie, it could be Timbaland, it could be, you know, one of my peers locally that, you know, I want to go in the studio and, and and work with them. So just the whole range of people from, you know, from top to bottom, I could go in the studios and 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 connect on a wavelength where we can get some music done and, and some good music done. You know what I'm saying? And Yeah, it's like uh learning the classical music is like a common language or common common bridge that allows you to work with different people. hundred percent, you know, allows you to work with other people. Um, and it just, you know, it just, it, it, it allows you, it's kind of like how we started this whole thing, right? It's like it, without having to spend 22 hours figuring out how does this wire connect to this interface mm-hmm. so that we can get yeah. on the podcast and just talk. It allows you to cut through all that and just get to the point, which mm-hmm. is making music and being creative. Um, so you don't, lose time trying to figure out how to communicate the idea, you just get the idea out. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's the most important thing with music and why a lot of artists have engineers and studios where people know how to do that for them um, so that they can just get the idea out. You know what I'm saying? And not have to worry about the X amount of hours it takes to work the technical shit. Um, So that's kind of what it's like. You know what I'm saying? It's it's, it's having a fast track way of just getting the ideas out. Last question. What's your favorite color? Favorite color is purple. It didn't used to be. Now, now it is. My favorite color was blue at one point, but it's, it's fucking purple, man. Purple is dope. Does it have anything to do with Kobe? R.I.P. Maybe in like a subconscious way, not like off the top of my head. Um, although I was a fan of Kobe from the very beginning. When he's rocking the fro and he was number eight. Mm-hmm. And he was just an arrogant son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that motherfucker. Like yeah. it, was, it was like making guest appearances on Moesha on fucking on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he changed you know, to 24. He's like, this is the new me. I hated that. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is 24? Yeah. You know, uh, number eight, we just gotten so used to it. I I bought sneakers that had the number eight on it. And you know what I'm saying? So it's like you, you fell in love yeah, with you're that. Yeah, you're like, well, are you going to pay for my new sneakers? Send me new yeah, sneakers with 24? Bro. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think it, it, it's, it, looking back in hindsight, it's like, it's one of the coolest things that he retired two numbers. You know what I'm saying? How many people retire two numbers? And so he got to retire two numbers, which is fucking badass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, rest you know in peace. I mean? Yeah, RIP, man. Well, thank you again for hopping on the podcast. I, I really do yeah, appreciate man. it. And 
for for joining me in the the mutual quarantine and and yeah, having this, having, having this conversation. I had a blast, and I hope Likewise. you did too. And yeah, yeah, ho- I hope we do this again soon. This was this was fun. Yes, sir, man. No, I appreciate you for having me. People need this medium of entertainment, so you keep keep fucking doing it. Keep rocking. You're teaching the people stuff through these conversations and keeping them entertained, you know what I'm saying? So it's dope. It's dope, dude. I appreciate you having me. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Augzoro. If you haven't already, please hit us with a five-star rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. This helps us appear higher in searches, which means more people will find out about Augzoro. Other ways to help get the word out is telling a friend, tagging us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, writing a blog post, or supporting us with a donation on Patreon. We are a completely independent platform and we're grateful for every listener who supports this podcast. Thanks for coming along for the ride and I'll see you guys next time.